1: Free will, bondage of the will, let's set it both aside and take a look at the ability that we are free to choose who we serve. (laughs) There is a qualification. Stick around and find out. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard the ministry of Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're continuing our survey through Romans. Today we find ourselves in a message called We Are Free to Choose Whom We Serve. In fact, we can even go to Joshua and find Joshua there telling all of his people, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Then he qualifies who it is you're going to serve. For the details, again from Romans, here's Pastor Phil Howard.
2: We want to see that Romans 6 is the gospel of the Christian life. And I mean this. Uh, we, I said several weeks back, the gospel is not just Jesus died, buried, rose again, I'm in the family, and now I'm miserable. I'm saved, but miserable. Saved, but defeated. Saved, but I just signed up for a bunch of rules that I'm not keeping. And Romans 6 through 8 <clears throat> is the gospel for the saved Christian, the good news of what the Christian life is to be all about. Uh, Lewis Chafer, founder of Dallas Seminary, used to tell all the students, if your Bible doesn't fall open to Romans 6, you are no theologian no matter what you claim. If you don't understand Romans 6... From on and what it's about, but he always had a Greek Testament, and he would just take Romans six. If you don't understand that chapter, you don't know what you're talking about in the Christian life. Let me tell you, there's three kinds of attitudes in the Christian life. One says, "I got saved and I'm now under law. I'm living under the law," and so we see all kinds of legalism all kinds of the rules approach to living for God. Make a rule, and that will keep them straight. Make a rule, and that will just be the thing that shows we're holy. Well, all it does is shows that we're great rule breakers, because rules have never been able to harness your sinfulness. It never has. It never will. It didn't do it for Israel. It won't do it for us. It emblazes sin in us. It makes us aware of sin, though it's holy. The second attitude is, uh, I'm saved and it doesn't matter how I live. I'm so liberated. Nobody's telling me how to live. And I'll make up the rules because uh, I'll do like apostates in Jude 4. They turn the grace of God into an excuse to sin. Galatians 5, Don't take your freedom and use it as an excuse to sin. God didn't liberate us to make us sin more. And that's exactly how Romans 6 begins. And so we want to look uh, in this chapter. Ted is covered 1 through 14. Let me just review what he said in 1 through 14. His thesis is, we died to sin in Christ. Shall we continue to live in that for which we died to? Absolutely not. Here's the problem. In Romans 5, 20, he said, where sin does abound, grace much more abounds. Paul's critic says, aha, we knew he would say that. So if you get more grace where there's sin, Let's sin more so we can get more grace. Because grace is liberty to sin all you want. And they said that in three eight of Romans. They were always accusing him. Your grace philosophy says it doesn't matter how you live. By the way, it's a good way to see if you're teaching enough grace for them to get it. Until they accuse you of that, you may not be teaching enough grace. I, coming from another tradition, did not want to come to grace truths because the big warning to me, by holiness people, was it will produce a life of sin. And so I stayed away from election, predestination, uh, eternal security, those kinds of truths because that is only an excuse to live like you want. And I I was very cautious in the early days that I was coming to grace that I wouldn't start playing pool and poker and hanging out with the wrong people. Because I knew they'd say, aha, you proved the thesis. You bought into grace and now you're living on the edge. Paul is saying Christian life is not one of law. It's not one of being a libertine to do as you please, license. But it's one of liberty. It's of liberty. For you've been united with Christ. You truly have. Let me tell you, I'm going to say this as just background before we begin. The first 10 verses of Romans 6 are written in the indicative in Greek, the mood of reality. It's a fact. It is not a feeling that every believer has been identified with Christ through his baptism. Now, let me say something about baptism because I keep changing my views. You know why? Do you ever change your view? You say it like this or no? Talk back. You're not that sleepy. Do you ever change your view about anything? Some of you didn't shake your head because I believe it. You haven't changed your mind about anything. Because <laughs> I keep studying. Some folks were wrong with their first view and they've stayed wrong ever since. It's interesting this word baptism. That baptism in the New Testament, water baptism, stood for the declaration that you had put faith in Christ, right? And I believe the emphasis is both water baptism and the real baptism. The water baptism can never signify, it can signify what really happened, but it can never make it happen. It only says, I want to notify you that I have put faith in Christ and being a believer now in him, I am all these things. I have died with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. I've been united with him to live a new life. I've died to sin. Therefore, I reckon myself to be what God says I am. I yield my body to him. I'm not under law. Those are facts And really, if we understood it at water baptism, we'd be saying, what has really happened to me is Romans 6, and I want to announce to the world, I've died with Christ, I've been buried with him, I've been raised. But only the work of God accomplished. Water itself could never accomplish it, but it could only be a signification, hey, this is what happened to me. I declare I am in Christ. Then, let's pick up verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Verse 6-1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? His thesis is, how do you live the Christian life if you're under grace and not under law? What kind of life is it? So he asked the question, I'm going to deal with four sets of two choices. First of all, there's two rules of life that he's contrasting. And he'll deal with it in chapters 7 and 8. Two rules of life. You're either living under law or under grace. And that's what he contrasts. Second, you're living in one of two realms. You're either living because you're in Adam Or you're in Christ. Two realms. You're in one or the other. Two rulers. You're either being ruled by sin, which represents the old man, Adam. Or you're under the rule of Christ, which is in obedience and righteousness. Finally, two results. One kind of life results in eternal separation from God in hell. The other is a perpetual life of eternal life in the future. Eternal life has a beginning when you believe, but here it's pictured as the end that goes on and on. You'll have eternal life forever in the future when you follow the right ruler. So let's begin. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means? The law has to be clearly the Mosaic law. Are we under the law for the Christian life? No place in Scripture in the New Testament are we ever said to be under the law of Moses for a Christian living. Now, a lot of you are thankful because you like bacon. And you're not a kosherite. There's another kind of law that we fall into, and that's the inventing of our own laws. But I know this is Mosaic law. But remember this. Anytime you put yourself under something that's truly law, this is the idea. If I do not do it, there will be penalty. Daniel Webster said a profound thing. He said... Law without penalty is not law, it's just good advice. Law without penalty is not really law, it's good advice. Uh, 65 miles an hour is a speed limit. If there's no penalty, it's only good advice. It's not law. When you're living under law, there is always penalty for failure to keep it. Guess what? You must anchor this in your mind. There is no penalty in the Christian life for failure. Now, if you want to invent one, go ahead, but it's your invention. It's not God's. There is no penalty for failing. Why? Because God tolerates your sin... No, because the gospel says your failing sin was paid for. Aha, that means I can live as I please. No, he has other ways to get you where he wants you without penalty. He calls it child training, loving training. And the grace of God will teach you how to live righteously. Grace, that's non-penalty, God can teach you to live for him without threatening you with a penalty. We are not under any kind of law. And you find me the verse that says contrary in the New Testament. And I don't know if I'll eat it, but I'll look at it close. We're not under law. And that's what he says. Hey, you Christians are saying you, you've broken away. Well, What's going to make you do the right if you're not under a legal a uh, system that says, if you break no i 'm under grace, and grace says all penalty is passed, and that I labor from acceptance, acceptance and gratitude towards god i 'm under grace, and grace can be translated at times i 'm under gratitude. I'm living out my Christian life, not out of fear of penalty, but out of gratitude for benefits received. I live out of gratitude, not out of fear. That is a liberating thought. No penalty for the Christian in the Christian life, however. Now, something else we must make clear. Paul said, our old man died in verse 6. And you must know he's talking to people who have died to the old man. Now, I just want to make this clear theologically. I know Ted already dealt with it, but I want to make it clear in your mind. The old man, of verse 6, is not your sin nature. Your sin nature did not die at the cross. What died is your position and relationship to Adam All that I was in Adam, I died to. The old man that I was, the old life that I was, think of it as writing a book, volume one, volume two. All that I was before Christ is volume one, and that chapter has been closed because I've died. End of that life. Now that I'm in Christ, and that's what Romans 6.15 on is assuming, I'm in Christ, I've already died. It's not every day I, I kill myself or I act dead. No, 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 no. It happened. And now in my reckoning, I just count on what God said really happened. I don't make it happen by reckoning. I bring it over to my experience. I'm going to experience the benefits that I'm no longer in the old realm of Adam. And that's what you find out all of a sudden in this new life. Sometimes you'll bring language that came from the old life. Quit talking like the old man and start talking like the new man. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. Put off the deeds of the old man Put on the deeds of the new man. You're in a new family. You're in a new head. You're in Christ. A new realm. And so our ethical behavior says, hey, you've been transferred to a new living head. You've been transferred out of Adam. So you're in an absolutely new realm. What a wonderful thing if we would only think these kinds of thoughts. Now he's going to contrast Now that you're in Christ, he's going to contrast how you used to live with how you now live, and he's going to um, accommodate their ignorance and their weakness by using an illustration out of slavery. And verse 19 said, I picked my analogy to accommodate your weakness. You won't get it, he's saying. I don't think you'll understand the dynamic Unless I use the analogy of slavery. Now, when you say slavery, don't think of American slavery. American slavery is a different kind than Roman. In Roman slavery, it was very common that you sold yourself to a man as a slave to pay off an honest debt. Maybe two years of your labor to pay off because you fell on bad times, you'd sell yourself to a guy, let me work it up. But you might have been a lawyer. You could have been a scientist. You weren't just a low-class laborer of some type. You could have been more educated than the master for which you worked for. And they were used to, I'll sell you my service. I'll obey you for two years to work off a of debt. That was very common in the Roman Empire. Also in the Roman Empire, instead of killing off a population, they would take the best of the population, bring them, to mentor their children, to be uh, run their households. They would be in a slave status. They weren't Roman citizens, but they did sophisticated work like even raising the emperor's children. So they were in a very, but they had a slave master relationship. And so he says, I'm using this illustration that You aren't free to be neutral in life. You're going to serve one of two masters. And he begins to contrast who they served when they were in Adam. And now the privilege of who they get to serve now that they're in Christ. Watch what he says. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves... You are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, I think it's interesting. He doesn't say a slave to Christ. He says to obedience. That leads to righteousness. And that kind of bothered me. I'm a slave to Christ. I'm not a slave to an ethical system. But here, what is he defending? Does the Christian life mean you live lawless? Does it mean there's no ethics in the Christian life? And so he switches it that the name for Christ really for these believers will be, this will be a righteous kind of life a life that's lived as a result of obedience to a master. And so he's using ethical language to show that though we're not under law, we're not without ethics. We're not without righteousness. We're not without obedience. Obedience to someone. But he said, we used to obey sin. We offered our bodies, our members. And by the way, body in Romans 6 Soma was often used of a whole person. He's not just talking about your members. He uses the term members. He spells that out. But when he says body, the body obeys somebody. The body's not just out here floating, oh, I'm going to just do something. No, he's addressing the whole person. But he wants their obedience to extend to what they do with their body. Starts in their mind, according to Romans 12. And then it extends to how I use my members. I don't know how you're thinking, but I could tell what you're doing with your body. And what you do with your body, I'm assuming you've chosen to do with your mind. So I know who you're serving between the ears by what you do with your body. And he's saying Christianity wants all of you. As you gave all of yourself to sin, give yourself to God. I've, uh, I've been amazed to watch some people that uh, as soon as they get saved, they get tired. Have you ever seen people like that? I, I, I'm, well, I would teach that class, but it takes time, doesn't it? Ted was going on about the coffee ministry. We could keep it up maybe because it takes time, takes work. Well, we've got to drop everything in the church. Everything takes time. Let's quit preaching. Let's quit teaching. Let's don't do anything around here because it takes time. Let's just automate it all. Let's just get automation discipleship, automation evangelism. Yeah, it takes time. It takes bodies. Well, I'm, I'm tired. You are. Well, How were how you able to stay in the bar until 2.30 every night? I know. I have family members that are there. When they went to church, my own brother had to wear shades because his eyes were shot from too much booze the night before. I know. I shared a bedroom. He got in at 2.30 and got up to go to work. was an iron worker. got up at 7.30. How do you make it on four hours a night? When you're a good slave of sin, you're amazed at how much energy you can find to serve sin. Can I hear anybody? Is that true? Oh, I, man. And then you get over to the saints. No wonder they call us old folks homes. Everybody a little tired. little kind of, I'm serving Jesus. Want to play basketball? Yeah, let's go. Want to play golf? Yeah, I feel it. Woo! Well, let's have Sunday night service. Man, I'm tired. I can't come back. You're not, you don't expect to be here all day, do you? Where'd you get that tired body? It's who your master is. You're coming back for the preacher. You're not coming back for Jesus. You got to serve Jesus. He energizes. He energizes. I've landed this place many a time exhausted at 530. And by 8, I feel like I could stay here all night because the spirit of God quickens me when I obey. And I just give myself to him. The quickening comes in obedience. But I, I love Jesus, but I just got tired since I got saved. Oh, I love what Packer said. Those who know God have great enthusiasm for God, and they have great energy for God.
1: brings us to the end of our time today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard as we have been working our way through Romans. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today.